0: Hello to all my autoimmune warriors. If you have found this podcast, that means that you do autoimmune disease differently. I am your host, Christy Burke. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and a self-proclaimed AI warrior just like you. Let's get into the show. Just a disclaimer here. This show does not diagnose or treat or give out any medical advice. Any guests that we have on the show are simply stating their experience. Holly has struggled with ulcerative colitis for nearly 14 years. She's had so many trips to the hospital that she lost count. Um, and now she has a thriving practice as a health coach specializing in irritable bowel disease. So you get to help people through the stuff, same stuff that you went through.
1: Exactly. Yep you nailed it.
0: Yeah. So start from the beginning. Tell us as much as you want. Oh goodness.
1: Yeah. So it feels like so long ago (laughs) with it being 14 years ago. Um, I've always had stomach issues from, I guess, early as I can remember. And I remember being taken out of school in the third grade to have to go get tests done at the children's hospital. And, they diagnosed me as lactose intolerance, which is now kind of laughable because it was way worse than it than lactose intolerance. Um, but when I was 19, I had a sudden onset of ulcerative colitis. I literally woke up one morning with an upset stomach and it never went away.
0: So l- let me back up for a second. So when you were a child, because I actually have a lot of people reaching out to me Um, to work with their children, sometimes toddler age. Um, What were specifically your symptoms that you were presenting as far as like the big picture of it?
1: So I don't remember exactly because I was so young, but I just remember... Being in a lot of pain. My stomach was constantly hurting. I was constantly having to run to the bathroom, and then I was in agonizing pain in the bathroom. Um, I remember because that was in the 90s. So I remember my mom kept lactate pills with her. We had to keep lactate pills on hand at all times just in case. So I always had to take those pills if I wanted to eat anything with dairy in them. And That is really all I remember is just being in a lot of pain. And my mom later did tell me that that trip to the children's hospital was like included a test for Crohn's disease and it came back negative, which is so interesting to me that I don't, I don't know because I was so young Mm -hmm. um, what was happening, but I did get a lot of tests done and all they could come up with was lactose intolerance despite like being in really, really agonizing stomach pain.
0: It's interesting to think about if you were presenting symptoms now, um, what the protocol would be as far as testing or whatever, you know?
1: I know. And I do believe that they did the best that they could. We went to the best hospital in the biggest metropolitan area nearby and but it was 96, 97. So that was a long time ago. And thankfully things have evolved and you know kids get diagnosed much earlier now. So they can catch it a lot earlier than say waiting 10 years and then having this very <laughs> traumatic sudden onset 10 years later. So right. that is, that is a plus side of it being 2022. So then, I was diagnosed in when I was nineteen, and it was a really traumatic experience because I thought I had the stomach flu. My mom is a nurse, and she treated me the best she could at home. She like went took me to every doctor she could think of, Mm -hmm. and they all sent me home with like Prevacid or just like sleep it off or like drink lots of fluids and it didn't get better. And so finally I was hospitalized after a week of not being able to eat or drink anything. And my dad actually was diagnosed years earlier with Crohn's disease. And so that was a blessing because my doctor was also his doctor Mm -hmm. in the hospital and he knew what he was looking for. And so I had a pretty quick diagnosis, whereas a lot of people with Crohn's and colitis go years. I mean, anyone with an autoimmune or chronic illness, they can go years being misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. And so having that quick diagnosis was really a blessing, even though it was pretty traumatic at the time. (laughs) Um, So I was diagnosed and they really only told me in the hospital, they're like, okay, you have ulcerative colitis. This is the medication that you're going to take for the foreseeable future. Best of luck to you. Like, that is it. They gave me the medication. I asked if I needed, it, like if anything was going to change in my life, because I was a college student, mm-hmm. I was going into my sophomore year. I didn't want my life to change. And so they said, no, if you take this medication, you can eat and drink whatever you want, which is mind boggling to me and so infuriating and again, these are top doctors. Like this was a right. very like well-renowned doctor of gastroenterology. And so I took his word for it and went back to college and did college things. And
0: so I- <laughs> what what was the medication what was it and what was it supposed to be for?
1: It was so they put me on two. So I was on Lialda and Humera, mm-hmm. and those are immunosuppressants. They do two different things. Don't quiz me on it, but they do two no. different things within the body and they work together. Lialda is a little milder. So people with, um, mild symptoms can often just take the Lialda pills. Um, mine was a little bit more moderate. So I was on Humera
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Being diagnosed, then saying you have to take these really painful shots for the rest of your life was awful because it was, oh my gosh, I just thought of this. It was a brand new medication in 2008 and the nurses didn't even know how to um, inject it. And they didn't know that you needed to ice the location for the injection to like ease the pain. And so Ooh. I nearly came off of that bed. <laughs> they felt so bad that they they had to do four of them, like two on my, like the tops of my thighs and two on my stomach. And they were so painful. They only got two done. And then they felt so bad that they're like, we'll come back later. <laughs> so they didn't, it was so new. They just, they didn't even know.
0: Yeah. And this was Humera. Mm-hmm. Humira is a pretty popular immunosuppressant now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, and then being in college, I, I did all of the college things and ate and drank and partied and lived a college student's life. And I proceeded to be in and out of the hospital at least every six months. my entire college career. And they would just increase my medication. They wouldn't say, Hey, maybe don't drink alcohol or Hey, maybe don't eat whatever you want. Maybe try something else. They just kept increasing my medication to the point where I had such severe brain fog that to pass any of my tests, I would have friends sit with me five minutes before the test. Like explain the problem or explain the concept to me so that I understood it I would go in take the test pass it and then move on to the next test and that's how <laughs> that's how I passed college essentially it's cuz my brain fog was so bad I just couldn't retain any information
0: I've talked about uh brain fog and specifically my brain fog on prior podcasts and it is uh, like brain the word brain fog like does not even touch what it actually feels like. Um, and I still deal with it sometimes. And I, you know, still deal with those, uh, the feelings of inadequacy and stuff like that, that all that comes along with it, you know, it's not just brain fog, there is an emotional, like, you know, like, there's an emotional process for us that we go through when we when our brain is not working correctly it's, it's terrible. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And especially it's such a critical time in your life, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I'm actually quite impressed that I passed, like that I graduated college in time with decent grades. And I mean, that's truly how I did it is because I had amazing friends who would just sit there and like work through it with me. Um, and i completely agree with the feeling of inadequacy because i deep down like i have to keep telling myself like i am smart i'm capable i'm competent it's not me it's this disease and having to explain that to other people also you know it's just really tough because i mean that carried on through my early years of being a working professional yeah i just didn't feel like what I knew I was capable of was matching up with what I was putting out. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very frustrating.
0: Yes. To say the least. I think this is a really good topic to dig into. um, Like we have, because it's, it's so emotional for many of us. And um, I think it's really important to talk about because one person in a community with autoimmune disease, it's really hard to tell other people how you're feeling and that your brain's not working correctly or that you're in pain or, you know, any of those things when you look fine on the outside, right? It's this invisible pain and this invisible suffering that we're having. So yeah, I think it's really important, but okay, go ahead and go on.
1: No, that's, that's so important because, going, I mean, as I was saying, like going into my early working years, I I mean, I already had so much imposter syndrome because I was so new. I was 20. by that time I, I took a couple of years off. I was 24 in my first job and I already was learning so much and trying to retain information, but having imposter syndrome as like a young professional plus, dealing with this ongoing health issue, I constantly felt like I was having to put a face on and just like smile. And I definitely overcompensated. So I'm from South Carolina and I worked in an office where heels and dresses were like highly encouraged, which is so laughable because I live in California and I wear Birkenstocks now. um, But I definitely overcompensated with like the makeup and I curled my hair and I looked really nice. And I was like a hundred percent put together mm-hmm. and I was in agonizing pain mm-hmm. looking back on it. Like, I don't even know why I bothered putting on all of that facade, but I just didn't want anyone to think that I was less competent because I had this autoimmune disease. So I actually, I hid it from, Oh, like most people, like my close friends and my family knew, but I was not the girl that was like, come talk to me about ulcerative colitis mm-hmm. at all, because I didn't want people to
0: see that as a weakness. I I totally get that. I've talked about how isolating it is and how, um, you know, I just kind of hid away, too. I didn't tell a lot of people either. I was still trying to figure out what I thought about it, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so in my early twenties, I, I had had it for several years at that point. And I was really like literally sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time and going through this brain fog. And I was introduced to this holistic doctor who introduced me to another way of eating And just in, I don't even think there was a name for it. There wasn't a specific diet. I think it was like a very, very extreme version of paleo, but it was even like a weird type of paleo. And just going on that, I felt like the clouds lifted. Like, Oh, I can feel differently. I can have energy and think clearly what this is wild. And so I actually, with his help, I weaned myself off of my medicine I felt great for about two years, mm-hmm. and I even ran a marathon in that time. Wow. But that being said, I didn't take into account stress. I didn't fully understand that like everything in my life affected right. my health, not just my diet. And so I didn't take into account the physical stress of a marathon might impact mm-hmm. my physical health. And so I ended up flaring because it was just too much for my body, not on medication to handle, mm-hmm. but I ran the mar- I was so stubborn. <laughs> I, my mom made me promise not to, uh, she made me promise to stop training if any symptoms popped up. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm not going to put myself through that. I was three weeks out from the marathon when symptoms started appearing and I was at mile 20, I'd never been in that shape in my life. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm not stopping. So I ran a marathon in a full flare, (gasps) completely wrecked my body. I'm, I'm so proud of myself for running the marathon and like getting myself to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think that you should never run a marathon in a flare. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, general advice.
1: Just a general, yeah, general yeah. guidance. Do it healthy. I'm pro marathon, but not if you're sick,
0: right?
1: Yeah, um, but yeah. So I'm. I was. <clears throat> that was my first foray into exploring nutrition and how it can change the game. How mm-hmm. it can change everything if you let it, and it doesn't. I. <laughs> in my younger years of having this autoimmune disease, I was very extreme. Like I'm going to go all natural. I'm going to have like this extreme diet. So I don't have to take any medication. And you know, before that it was like all medication, no diet. And now I feel like I've come to this really happy place where like, you know what, if I have to take a biologic or an immunosuppressant It's fine. There's no shame in that. If I need it, it's okay. But also, I need to manage my stress Mm -hmm. and I need to keep a really clean diet and I need to do all of these things. So I'm like at this happy balance finally Mm -hmm. without like any extremes on either end.
0: Right. Can you just tell us a little bit how you kind of noticed that it was? stress and what that kind of does to the body and the immune system and, and all of that stuff, Uh, a little dig a little deeper into that for, because I think that, you know, some of us think that we can do just one thing. Um, but the truth is, is it's a whole puzzle and you need the whole puzzle in order to have the whole picture.
1: Truly. And So I, I had a lot of the, as you say, like all the puzzle pieces together, I had a lot of the, like the diet was very, very strict. I did not allow myself to break at all. So I knew it wasn't the diet and my job wasn't that stressful. So like mental, like the mental aspect of stress wasn't a factor there, but the, I was putting so many miles in each week for my training it was very stressful on the body. <coughs> Excuse me. And I could just feel it. Cause that was something that my body wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. I, right, I was always a runner, but you know, 5k, 10k, that's very different than running 26 miles right. and doing it like long distance week after week for like six months. Um, it just got to be too taxing on my body And, um, sorry, I forgot the final question.
0: That's okay. We were just talking about, um, stress, brain fog. I know (laughs) we were just talking about, um, stress on the body and how you kind of correlated that. And, you know, I just want to say too, that the body doesn't like, you know, it's like, Oh, exercise, exercise, exercise. That's awesome. But I was doing CrossFit um, competitively when I got my diagnosis. And I have never gone back to that type of overtraining ever again, because I know that that's not good for me. Um, And the body doesn't know the difference between good stress and bad stress. So I think we keep thinking that exercising and especially these extreme forms of exercise are going to get us in shape and they're going to you know it's it is a stress on the body it's a lot of stress that we need a lot of recovery from
1: yes and overtraining you nailed it it's it causes so much like systemic inflammation in the body especially crossfit so i it's funny you mentioned that because when I couldn't run anymore because I wrecked my body and I was recovering from a flare-up, I thought, okay, well, I can't work out. I can't run anymore, but I can do CrossFit. So I went from running a marathon, like healing my body, and then I jumped straight into CrossFit. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can laugh now, but – and I loved it.
0: I- oh, my God. I know. I <laughs> loved CrossFit, too. I loved it. If I could go back and do half, because I think the workouts are really functional and really great. If I could do half of the workout, that would fit (laughs) me best, but there's no way. Yeah. Do that long-term.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I lasted for about six months and got in the best shape of my life Mm -hmm. and got sick again. And each time I kept trying to go back and each time I would lose that muscle mass and it got harder and harder to go back because I would lose the muscle mass, try again, get sick again. And it just became this cycle where I just couldn't keep up anymore. My body was telling me, absolutely not. This is not what you need right now. And so I've always been this all or nothing personality where like, okay, a 5k is not good enough. I need to do a marathon. Like lifting weights isn't good enough. I need to do CrossFit five days a week. Uh And again, now I had these extremes, but now that I'm in my thirties, I found this like middle ground where I can, when I'm healthy, I can work out every day but it can't look like crushing my body at a CrossFit gym. It's like, yes, I'm lifting weights, but it's for 20 minutes. And it's in a video that I push play in my living room and I can control the environment. I can control how many reps I can do, how heavy I can do it um, and really listen to my body. And if I'm just not feeling it that day, then maybe I do yoga and I don't judge myself for it. Whereas, You know, five, six years ago, I would have talked so much shit to myself and, like, you're so weak. Like, why can't you do this? Like, just go to CrossFit. You're so lazy. You're just doing yoga. Uh And now I just know that that's what my body needs. My body just works differently than Uh the average person. And I can work out. It's just not going to be extreme like my mind wants it to be.
0: (laughs) Right. And I, you know, I think that when we go through something like this, that is really kind of shakes us and wakes us up. um, I've, I always felt like my brain and my body were speaking different languages. And through my autoimmune disease, I found how to communicate and I'm listening to my body. So like, you know, throughout your entire life, it sounds like your body was giving you signs and it was saying, Hey, like, I need help over here. Like something is wrong, but we didn't know how to listen to it. And we didn't know how to like speak that language. And I think like, you know, that's really true. I think everyone should take that advice. And instead of doing your normal workout or whatever, if you're if you didn't get good sleep, if you're stressed about something else, if you're feeling off, maybe just take the day off or maybe just, you know, jump on a trampoline or go play or something different. Like we have as Americans, we have this like push through mentality and you and I are like victims of that. And I think a lot of people are, even if they don't realize it. Oh,
1: such true words. If that, that's the biggest lesson, excuse me, that I think I've learned is to listen to my body so, so well. And I was just telling my husband this maybe yesterday that my mind and my body almost never agree because right now I, so I had COVID about a month ago and I'm still facing the fatigue of it on top of the fatigue of an autoimmune disease. It's really unfair.
0: It's a downer. (laughs) And so
1: I have this massive fatigue, but my mind is fully clear. And my mind is telling me like, no, you need to go do work. Like you own a business. You need to do this and this and this, you need to go exercise. Mm -hmm. And my body is like, physically like melting into the couch and cannot do anything thinking why did my, why did my mind and body never match up? But really in the end, it's willpower to sit back and think, okay, my body is telling me very clearly that it cannot go on anymore. So I need to sit here for as long as it takes, or maybe go take a nap at most go take a walk if that. And so it really is just that awareness of your body of what it's trying to tell you, because if you do push through for long enough, Oh man, it, it will not serve you whether you have an autoimmune disease or not. It, yeah, it will, it will tell you the hard way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it smacks you right in the face. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I wish that we told, wish that we taught children this, um, You know, because it's kind of like asking your body, what do you need today? You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, why can't we teach our children that? And like, how do we feel after we eat certain foods and or this or that? I mean, I work with kids, too. So I think about that all the time. But
1: that's so true, because I, I remember thinking back that I never liked spaghetti or eggs. This is so random, but I I never liked it as a kid and my parents would always fix it for me. And I would always tell them like, I don't think I like that. And I'm not a picky eater. I eat all types of foods, Uh but as it turns out, I figured it out when I was maybe 22, I took a food allergy test and I'm actually quite allergic to eggs. And I'm actually, I get physically nauseous after I eat eggs and I think as a kid, that's what I was trying to express is that I don't like eggs, but as a kid, you can't really like correlate the two of like, mm-hmm. I feel really sick when I eat eggs. I probably shouldn't eat those. I might be allergic. Yep. So I think that's that's a really good point. We should definitely teach kids to listen to their bodies and say like, what do, what does your body feel like right now? Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? How does it feel?
0: That's really interesting that you had that intuition early on, but you know, I mean, our parents do the best that they can. Obviously they're like, eat your fucking eggs. Yeah. Like, What's the problem? You know, Yeah, they're good for you. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so I get that. Okay. So let's get back to your story. Sorry. Um, so we talked about running inflammation. Um, so what did you decide to do after? during the marathon portion of your life, you had two really good years on the diet that the holistic doctor doctor recommended. Um, the marathon kind of changed a lot of that for you. Were you still working in corporate America at the time? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I actually, around the time where I was beginning to heal from that marathon, from that flare. I was still on a strict diet. I think I was easing off of it because it wasn't sustainable. I got a job offer in California and that actually was completely life-changing for me in many, many ways. But moving to a state where eating healthy is the normal. And the availability of certain health food products, it just, it changed everything for me because mm-hmm. I worked at a health tech startup in uh, the Bay Area. And our some of our advisors were some top doctors who I got to know really well and who were very holistic and were on the cutting edge of certain types of technologies. And just being exposed to that type of care that i had never seen before. And it was then that I took the food allergy test and found out, Hey, I'm actually allergic to eggs and gluten and dairy and like all of these things that I've been eating. And so I really like started to create a sustainable way of eating rather than just like eating one really restrictive diet that wasn't custom fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I figured out a way to eat sustainably long-term to promote healing in my body, which was a completely different way of thinking.
0: Did you ever try AIP? Yes. Okay. What was your experience with AIP out of curiosity?
1: So AIP came actually like five years later. I think I did AIP like two years ago um, because I wanted to try it. I was very sick and also a health coach. And so I'm like, I'll try it. Yeah. So My experience was positive. I did the elimination phase and started seeing results after about a month of being on it. And I think I was on it for three months. Mm -hmm. My issue with it is I'm an impatient person. And the reintroduction phase was really, really tough for me. And
0: honestly, I didn't do it very well. Uh Same. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Not just me.
1: (sighs) Yeah. I I think it's a good tool and I I really like the the concept of it. The reintroduction is just really really hard yeah. to do it that slowly. And I know that there's reasoning behind it. It's just tough. So, where I'm at right now that I feel really good with is generally paleo. Mm-hmm. Paleo, I always come back to it and I always feel the best. It it feels less restrictive and something I can do for the long term.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, some of our listeners may not know what paleo is. Can you explain what paleo is?
1: Yes. Yeah, so paleo is essentially a diet that is grain free, and I may mess this up, but it's it's grain free, um, beans beans and legumes free. So my version, I'll share my version. So yeah. I, it's it's grain free with no legumes, no dairy, no sugar. Um, so what I, and the easier way to look at it is focusing on eating really quality protein, vegetables, fruits, those, if you focus on those, you're going to be golden. So that's where I focus. And if I'm going to have a, let's say a grain like rice, or maybe I want to splurge and have like a piece of pizza even if it's gluten free um if i want to have some like gluten free flour or in something i will space it out so i will i'll like eat it and then we'll stay fully paleo for at least like two or three days before i have something else and allow that time to for it to fully digest
0: i see and and give your immune system a little rest give your gut some time to you know reduce inflammation Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Are you, what's, so let's get into some like diet stuff right now Um, because I've, I've done AIP several times and the first time I did it, it was a year and it was very, very strict, but that's because I was reacting so strongly to so many things. Mm -hmm. I was, I was on AIP, but I also was on a low histamine diet. So I was literally eating like 10 foods for an entire year. Wow. Um, Yeah. So my reintroduction phase, I had healed so much that I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like, I just want to eat everything. Um, So tell me about like coffee is a really tough one for me. Um, Tell me about what you think about coffee. And what you think about gluten in general for people specifically with irritable bowel disease.
1: So coffee is an interesting one because some people aren't bothered by it. And in my early years of being diagnosed, I wasn't bothered by it. Like I was sitting in the hospital drinking coffee and I was fine. So I really, I'm baffled a little bit by coffee. So Because I know most of my life I've done really well on coffee. But in the last, I would say, two or three years, I am so intolerant to it that I will say when I'm in remission, when I have zero symptoms, I'm feeling really good, I use it as a treat. Um, I used to drink, when I had such severe brain fog... In my early working years and in college, I swear I had maybe like three or four cups of coffee a day. I lived on it. Yeah. Knowing that coffee actually, now that I can isolate it and test it, coffee actually makes me more tired. That's that's Mm. the effect. So it causes digestive issues and it makes me more tired, but (laughs) I couldn't see that in college or my early 20s. So I was drinking three or four cups a day, not knowing that it was the cause of my fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've actually, I used to be really addicted to it since being sick. I haven't been able to tolerate it at all. I mean, just one sip of it when I'm inflamed sends me running to the bathroom. And so I drink tea in the mornings. I, a lot of people are irritated by the caffeine in the coffee, but I've noticed that for me, it's not the caffeine. It's it's the actual like coffee beans, even decaf. It's So it's not the caffeine. I mean, I drink really high caffeinated tea mm-hmm. and it doesn't bother me. Um, I wish it was the caffeine and I would just drink decaf coffee all day.
0: <laughs> I think I'm the same way, actually, um, because they do a lot of strange processes when they Uh, process the beans. And I don't think that people realize that sometimes and, um, it can create some like liver congestion and, um, stuff like that. Like if people have detox problems, um, yeah. So, and what about gluten?
1: Yeah. Well, one more thing I had to say about coffee is that what some people, um, for those listening, Um, They are able to tolerate cold brew better than regular coffee because of the way that it's processed. It can, I'm not entirely sure why I can't tolerate either unless I'm really, really in a good place. Mm -hmm. And even then it's an occasional treat. But I hear that cold brew based on the process is less irritating than regular. So if anyone out there wants to try it. (laughs) I will. Yeah.
0: Let me. Know. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. Um,
1: and gluten. Again, I think I feel like it's unless you have celiac, and in which case you have an allergic reaction to it. It's again, the processing the way that we process it in the US because mm-hmm. I can safely have more when I'm traveling. Let's say in Europe. So I lived in Spain. I ate all of the gluten and had no reaction. Mm-hmm. But here I have a very small toler- like, toleration window. I can have a couple bites, but if I have any more than that, I'm going to get bloated. I'm going to feel inflamed. So I always recommend just opting out of gluten and also out of the gluten-free products because... Yes gluten-free doesn't mean that it's healthy for you. If anything, it's probably the opposite because they have to put in fillers and additives and gums and sugars just to make it taste right. Right. So, I mean, use those sparingly as a treat. Again, like you can use those occasionally if you want a, a cookie, eat a gluten-free cookie, but don't have that as like a daily part of your diet.
0: Uh, would you like to share?
1: I will say all of my clients have Crohn's or colitis Mm -hmm. and it's really special to me. I, I love working with people that I can, you know, empathize with because it is so isolating and can be like full of shame. But what I focus on with my clients, again, we talked about the puzzle. We, We slowly add all the puzzle pieces together to create a lifetime of good health yeah. and to keep them in remission. So we fo- diet is a huge one, but also focusing on getting quality sleep and managing your stress and managing your anxiety and just creating these lifestyle strategies so that you can, they can get back to doing what they love and enjoying their life with their loved ones. So it's, it's just about putting all of those healthy habits together so that they can, they can live the life that
0: they want to live. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, a lot of us that are um, health coaches or nutritional therapists or in the holistic um, health world have had something devastating like this happen to us. um, And it really changes. It changed my life trajectory. It sounds like it did the same to you. Um, you're doing something completely different. And it sounds like when you got that job in California, you didn't have to seek out information. Like it was literally laid out for you and you were living it every day. Like, how lucky is that? You know? It,
1: yeah, truly. I, I, it made no, like the move to California made no sense to anybody, but I just felt like it was the right move. And, I mean, I met these mentor, these health mentors that like really opened up a whole new world for me. And I also met my husband there as a a side note. So it like everything happened for a reason. And if not, I would have still been in corporate marketing and may or may not have been happy. I don't know, but I'm doing what I love and just to be able to provide that support for people that... I didn't have, when I was first diagnosed, really means the world to me to be able to be that person that I needed those years ago.
0: And that's all for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and recommend to a friend. If you would like more information, please visit AIWarriorPodcast.com or Burkspharmacy.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Berks Pharmacy. That's B-U-R-K-S-F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. And until next time, be kind to yourself.